I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Fool me, can't get fooled again. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. That is Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. All right, we're week one into the Trump administration <laughs> the transition team is uh being led by mike pence as we speak uh mike pence took over the role of uh being in charge of transitioning donald trump to the white house um he took that role away from chris christie who is slowly just being demoted uh to um you know boy who gets teased in the lunchroom I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be the sole purpose of chris christie in the trump administration will be to be given wedgies too or to accuse of eating the last ham sandwich to mock him when he attempts to go on a diet and to constantly refer to him as the one who would play the catcher in all 1980s baseball films <laughs> Um, that's pretty much all he's it, This is true, as a matter of fact. It's interesting. Donald Trump apparently really uh, hates Chris Christie, and Christie fell out of Donald Trump's good graces uh, during the Bridgegate scandal, during the testimony that the woman, and I'm forgetting her name now, she is going to go to jail. She's a, a soccer mm. mom for all intents and purposes. And when Donald Trump saw her crying on the stand, this is according to Ivanka Trump, uh, or a, a, a an insider in the Trump family, so mm -hmm. one of the Trump uh, kids, I believe, um, they said when Donald Trump saw her crying on the stand, he was so disgusted with Chris Christie that he would let her take the fall when we all know he should be the one filling up a jail cell <laughs> that he uh, he slowly eroded any trust that he had in the man. And now he personally dislikes Mr. Chris Christie. Wow. So that's why, because he saw a woman crying on the stand, <laughs> according to some insiders. So he ain't going to be attorney general, huh? I guess not. And thank God. <laughs> Uh, thank God. You should not be at constant risk of heart failure if you're going to work as the country's attorney general. Good Lord. I want to say rest in peace, Gwen Eiffel. Yeah. Uh, that was extremely sad news uh, for those that didn't have a chance to grow up without cable uh, like I did for many years until my father desperately wanted to watch more home improvement mm -hmm. and then we'd get cable back in the house. It really depended on my father's uh, whim uh -huh. and uh, what shows were coming out that, that season. Um, but we didn't have uh, cable most of my childhood and we watched a lot of PBS and Gwen Eiffel was a staple of PBS and the PBS News Hour, her and, and, and uh, Jim Lair um, those, and, and uh, McLaughlin and group, <laughs> that whole group of people, man, they were so phenomenal and it was a really sad day uh, when Gwen Eiffel passed away and it, it, she did leave a, an amazing legacy of journalism that we don't see anymore. PBS was so wonderful in its boringness. You know, I still watch Charlie Rose constantly. Yeah. If you put on a good interview, you don't need scrolls you don't need uh, a series of graphics telling you all about you know war on terror or whatever whenever you watch CNN or Fox News I mean that the it's so unbelievably um well it assaults the senses it assaults yeah. the senses it's ADHD on steroids and uh, yeah. and so, nothing of su substance is said whatsoever not whatsoever so uh Gwen Eiffel rest in peace she was she was phenomenal um so it's interesting Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp and I guess he's just revealing the swamp is full of trolls. <laughs> uh, Rudy Giuliani Boy, being He one. is just loving the swamp. He's he, loving he, the swamp. He, he got right into the swamp and he decided he likes the smell of it. 
and he's going to keep the swamp exactly where it is. It's like when you drained your pool as a kid. My friend Pete had a pool growing up, and uh, so every time the winter was about to come, you got to drain the pool so it doesn't freeze. And you didn't realize you were swimming in human dookie. <laughs> you know, every the pool is just like it, you go through the filter process, and you're like, we swam in this. There was a dead rat in there, a squirrel that had a whole family of eight. I mean, it's disgusting. And we're seeing the dead rats now. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they're not dead at all. They're very much alive. Reince Priebus uh, was just named chief of staff to Donald Trump. Uh, A lot of people believe this was a smart decision for Donald Trump because Reince, despite the fact that his name sounds like a venereal disease, and (laughs) will continue to say it, Priebus, (laughs) I broke my Priebus. Maybe it's a bone more. Um, He will, uh, a lot of people think that was a step in the right direction to unify the Republican Party because Reince knows a lot of individuals uh, that uh, hold quite high status that are more traditionally conservative, such as Paul Ryan. And uh, you know, I always, always mention Ben Sass's name, but Jeff Sessions, uh, who has been a Trump supporter ever since uh, day one. But he'll be able to sort of coalesce a coalition of normal conservative Republicans, uh, hopefully to get them uh, to, to to join Team Trump and allow for um, some some governance to actually occur. He's so. got to have somebody to hurt all these cats. Yep, and that that's Reince's job. I'm not <laughs> envious of it. I mean, it sounds like a waking nightmare. Yeah. Um, but he is now he, the chief of staff. Can you imagine being Reince Priebus and trying to be the go-between uh, between Republicans that have been entrenched in uh, the House and Senate for decades and trying to tell them Trump's demands, his ideas, and trying to make him sound reasonable? Oh my God, Reince Priebus is going to come back every single day to the Oval Office the exact same way David Spade came back from the woods in the great film Black Sheep. (laughs) If you don't remember Black Sheep, go out and check it. It's one of Chris Farley's top five movies. He only made five, but that's okay. There's a scene where he, there is a uh, there is a uh, a fire extinguisher mm-hmm. and it wasn't used to put out a fire on David Spade. It was used it was used in a to make him a weird looking bunny rabbit. <laughs> and Reince Priebus will have a similar situation <laughs> happening to him on a daily basis. Uh, I don't personally like Reince Priebus that much, but that's not the most controversial appointment without a doubt at this point the most controversial appointment is Steve Bannon oh. of course the former CEO of Breitbart um, after uh, Andrew Breitbart died apparently Breitbart and Steve Bannon I did a little bit of uh, watching of the Dana Loesch program on the blaze and Dana Loesch she's a very conservative commentator she has uh, multiple books all of them on the cover uh, she's holding a gun just to let you know like what what what's the book all about set the tone set the tone right away one of the books is hands off my gun and I was like okay um, and then uh, the other one is called flyover country so you know that's really her niche market is those Midwest uh, you know in and southern uh, gun owners very evangelical very uh, what Glenn Beck thought he had the corner on um, before obviously Alex Jones and Trump uh, were able to come in and really steal a lot of Glenn Beck's listenership, which is why I do believe Glenn Beck made a strategic decision to support Hillary Clinton. And we'll see if that works out whatsoever. I don't want to brag, but Marcus Parks, what do we have? A brag alert because we did beat we did beat Beck on iTunes. We are right smack in the middle of Beck and Hannity. Oh my, we're coming for you, Hannity. I know where you work. I mean, Glenn Beck. Yeah, he lost those people, but he laid the foundation. Uh, without yes, without yes. Glenn Beck, Alex Jones would not have uh, had the rise that he had this uh, election. I mean, uh, Glenn, yeah, that's true. Glenn Beck is uh, the forerunner of the Christian fear movement. Like, yeah. He's the guy that really set the stage for this, and he did mainstream a lot of the um, a lot of the thinking about the NWO and about how they're all coming to get us. If you go back and watch some of his early Fox News show, um, I mean, by the end of it, he had all of the windows blacked out. Yeah, I mean, it was really it was uh, you know not to use the uh, the um, analogy too much, but True Detective. It was very much McConaughey and True Detective. Like he was just you know spinning yarn around random uh, you know tacks and being like. He was connecting all the dots, mm-hmm. and it was very conspiratorial and uh, extremely. It was not quite. He did not believe the juice boxes were making us gay, like uh, Alex Jones believes. He does not believe that uh, it's possible reptiles run the world, like you know Alex Jones might believe. He entertains Maybe. it. He entertains it. It's but, possible. Yeah, but uh, but it was a very slow burn. It was uh, from Glenn Beck, you know, being a fairly reasonable person, saying, you know, hey, maybe things aren't as great as you might think they are. Maybe. Uh, this isn't the kind of Christian nation that you want to believe in. You know, and people watch Fox News. People like my grandmother.
other people, like most people's grandparents out there, they watched Fox News and there was somebody out there telling them that everything was going to be okay. You're not crazy. The country is crazy. Right. And it slowly started becoming this more conspiratorial tone with Glenn Beck having those big chalkboards. Remember the big chalkboards? Of course he used I to remember. I see them and, every day. And he would make these uh, connections between things that weren't actually there. So when Alex Jones came around, because Alex Jones has been Alex Jones forever. Yes. Like he is not, uh, Alex Jones has not changed one bit. The world changed for Alex Jones. Alex Jones He did made not the, the world. I mean, talk about chaos magic. Didn't uh, Alex Jones create the world that he wanted, right? Exactly. He created the reality that he wanted. Uh, so by the time Glenn Beck got out of there, uh, Alex Jones was there. You know, he'd already been working on his game for decades. Yep. And I mean, he was it. damn good at it. He built a hell of an audience. Yeah. Right and there in your home state of Texas, Marcus. That's right. Yeah, Isolation he, can lead you a little bit mad. Yeah. I mean, he mm-hmm. he built it up. Uh, and now he is a voice. He is a very um, real voice. And it's, you know, the fact that Alex Jones is a voice these days uh, is why Steve Bannon isn't really raising a whole lot of eyebrows on the conservative side. Well, that's not really true, though, to my point about Dana Loesch. Again, I mean, I'm not, not talking about establishment. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about constituents. Well, I think that people are really un, uh, upset about Steve Bannon. Um, he I seems think to people be the are, one. but I think a lot of like Republicans that voted Trump into office aren't all that upset about Well, it. you know, I mean, he is the Rahm Emanuel of the campaign. I mean, he was the top advisor during the campaign, and he did help get Donald Trump elected. There's no denying that. Um, but I do think he might have to be uh, a bit of a collateral damage. He has to sort of be cut because right now he is getting the the mass amount of criticism is coming towards Steve Bannon. But the, again, as a top advisor, that's not really a bad thing. If you're Donald Trump, you kind of want to keep him around for a little while to, to take the heat off, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly. So Dana Loesch was on her radio show and she was talking about working at Breitbart while Andrew Breitbart was still alive. And uh, he passed away, obviously. Steve Bannon took over. And I was surprised to here, she was completely opposed to him being in the White House. Really? Completely opposed. She absolutely hated Steve Bannon. She hated working for him. She ended up quitting Breitbart because of the direction he wanted to take the company and the brand. Uh, that sort of, that um, sort of, uh, you know, libertarian slash, you know, um, you know the alt right movement. Uh, the way that the way that Steve Bannon took Breitbart was not necessarily the way that Andrew Breitbart would have wanted wanted this to go by a lot of people that knew Andrew Breitbart. Well, Bannon likes to um, use code words. He likes to do wink winks. He likes to use a lot more innuendo than uh, than Breitbart did. Wink wink, indeed. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was interesting, though, that Dana yeah. Loesch herself, who is an extremely conservative commentator, uh, came out against Steve Bannon because she said that he doesn't uh, he has vengeance in his heart and his ego is just too big. And at this point, he would just want to see all of his distra- uh, all of his detractors and everyone who has ever wronged him in life uh, pay for it. Now that he has a massive position of power, which is extremely dangerous uh, when you do think about it. And again, this has been the major question for the Trump campaign: Will they be able to put on political leader caps, mm-hmm. or will they just maintain sort of a, a ragtag mob of individuals who have a tacit um, uh, uh, tac- uh, tacitly tethered to a political ideology that works for them in the moment, or will they actually um, will they actually be able to govern? Forget uh, you know the small grievances uh, from the past and be a be a president, uh, be a be an administration for all of people. I mean, obviously we see Chris Christie in there. He certainly failed miserably at uh, being able to do that with a ridiculous Bridgegate scandal that he should be in jail for. So that was one of her number one fears regarding Steve Bannon, and he's getting a lot of heat right now because of the anti-Semitic rhetoric on his website, uh, Breitbart, and things like that. Yeah, not he got him. at the same time he got him elected. And, you know, you look, I mean, look at Rahm Emanuel. I mean, none of these people are, like, good. I mean, you have to be a pit bull. You have to be a terrible human being in order to get to the position of power that they're at right now. So um, I think if you're Trump, maybe he's keeping him on to take a little bit of heat. Or we have heard in the past that Donald Trump is extremely loyal, and perhaps he's just going to, you know, deal with the Steve Bannon uh, critics and and just kind of roll with it. Uh, So we'll see. Another person being uh, considered for uh, secretary of state is none other than bat boy grown up uh the father of bat boy or bat boy grown up however you want to look at him uh the man who looks like he's one of the monsters uh rudy giuliani is being (laughs) heavily considered for secretary of state and he's angling for it himself another fellow who i actually know personally have done red eye with him many times 
on uh, on Fox News there. John Bolton, former ambassador to the U.N., extremely nice guy. But uh, during his appointment, when W. Bush appointed him to the U.N., it was controversial because he said he wanted to get rid of it. That he said of- he basically wanted to blow it up. His, <laughs> his, his verbiage was like, I'd kill everybody. Like, it was really intense. Everyone's like, this is going to be the ambassador to the U.N., the guy who doesn't want the U.N. to exist as an entity. And Bush is like, yeah, why wouldn't it? Um, so he's also in the running for secretary of state. But Giuliani now, Marcus, I want to hear your thoughts because um, to me this is like I can't believe the 72-year-old finally got back to the White House. I mean, uh, and finally got back into a position of power because for all intents and purposes, and we do want to talk about this going forward in this episode too, the fluidity of media uh, to government. We certainly harped enough on it with Donna Brazile from CNN going over to head the DNC. So we'll continue uh, to uh, critique that uh, fluidity between media and government and, and question if that's a good thing or not. Um, but when it comes to Giuliani, my God, what a career arc, what a career changer this was. Uh, him as Secretary of State, uh, it seems awful. It's terrible because Giuliani is a very emotional human being. Uh, he always has been. He's always run on emotion. And this is a guy that still to this day, and I get it, man. He was mayor during 9-11. It was awful. It was. Ex- I'd imagine it would be extremely traumatic for him, and that is the number one reason why he should not be in charge of negotiating and uh, being an ambassador, for all intents and purposes, to uh, Muslim countries, especially right now. It's a terrible idea to have this man in this position. Well, I don't think he can separate himself. I don't think he can separate his own emotions and feelings about that and his own emotions and feelings towards Muslims uh, from what is best for the country. I mean, it, this is it seems like that this is a, another uh, appointment of feeling like let's uh, let's well, get a guy that feels right. You know, um, he did do a lot of heavy lifting for Donald Trump. He stuck with him throughout all of these controversies. The thing about the campaign, um, just, you know, Richard Grenell is another guy who is being considered not for secretary of state, but he's a person that I've worked with a lot as well. He's openly gay. Um, they're, they want to bring him on to help with the transition as well. Uh, the thing about the campaign being so hostile and having so many difficult things to defend that Donald Trump said and what uh, was happening at the rallies, it really created a diamond. You know, I mean, it just it pressed these people so far together because everyone was so much against them that I don't see Donald Trump not rewarding the individuals who stuck with him this entire time. There's another guy I look out for named Tony Sayeg, who did a lot of the heavy lifting for Donald Trump. Um, I could see him in do, doing some press uh, press secretary work. Richard Grenell, as a matter of fact, could be a good press secretary for Trump. So um, if, Laura Ingram is also apparently in the running. Oh, really? Secretary. Oh, my yeah. God. If we have to listen to Laura like, Ingram every single... Jesus. That she would be She she's very excited to be, uh, to be considered. That's, thank you, Laura. You know, there's just not yeah. enough people wearing phony crosses on their neck in front of the White House uh, logo. Well, it's not just that uh, they these people all came so close together. It's that so many people denounced Trump exactly. uh, during his campaign. I mean, he was losing. He, I mean, it, I was, mean, it was the Titanic many so times. So many people, so many national defense people, so many uh, people that were experts and, and national and international defense mm-hmm. came out against him. And he's having that problem all the way across the board, that every single person came, not every single person, but every rational person came out and said, this guy cannot be a part of it. This guy absolutely cannot be mm-hmm. president. And now some of those uh, national security uh, experts are saying, like, listen, if he asks you, do it because this man needs help. Oh, absolutely. Like, do not let he's got do not swallow your pride and do it because he needs experts. He needs people in there that know what they're talking about. And that is the other danger of this is that he's really only left with people uh, that don't really know what they were talking about or at least have a worldview that is so narrow because they've had to narrow that worldview to fit in with the Trump campaign and with the rhetoric uh, that and of course, like Trump is not one to forgive and forget. You know, no, he's definitely he's not. absolutely not. So but if someone comes out against him, then it's not very likely that Trump is going to put that person in his ca- in his uh, cabinet. You know, I'm w- just wondering, you know, going back to uh, possibly press secretary or secretary of state for Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it's not like the la- our former press sec- or former secretary of state, um, Hillary Clinton, who obviously lost this election. 
you know, it wasn't as if she wasn't uh, extremely hawkish in many of her policies. I that mean, we true. did we we overthrew an entire nation uh, that was basically considered to be her war. Uh, obviously, there in Libya. So you do wonder if Giuliani would be that much of an extreme compared to Hillary Clinton. John Kerry doesn't seem to be um, doing that much as far as nation building. I think we've built all the nations we could for four years. <laughs> um, but when it comes to the Iran deal, for example, that would be something that Rudy. Giuliani would be extremely hands-on with if they do want to restructure the Iran deal. That would be something the Secretary of State would be extremely pivotal and influential on. And you know, if we do just completely uh, get rid of it, or you know, just want to sort of see if the Iranians are following it. Right at this point, the Iranians uh, have been following it uh, relatively. You know, they they've been you know doing doing as the uh, agreement says to do over the past year. So anyway, that'll be an interesting appointment. Yeah, and Giuliani, I mean, he could, just because, you know, Hillary Clinton was a hawk doesn't mean that Giuliani being a hawk is excusable. I mean, it's like getting no. another hawk in there would be terrible right now. We don't need a hawk. We need somebody who can negotiate. We need somebody who can actually speak to these countries and work with these countries. Yeah. Especially if we're going to take down ISIS, then we need to have a plan that doesn't just include bombing the shit out of them. We need somebody who can work with these other countries. Right, and we'll see if we'll have the ability to do that. Certainly he has a long history of governance, and we have to hope for the best. At the very least, Trump is surrounding himself with people that have a little bit, oh, I mean, a lot more experience than he does, mm -hmm. which is any experience at all. Anybody. <laughs> Anybody at all. Right, which is, uh, which is very good. So other than that, we don't really know exactly who's going to be going in and, and uh, uh, you know, who's going to be extremely influential in a Trump administration. I have to give uh, credit to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton for making this as easy as humanly possible on the American people at this point, but I am just about to d uh, diss on Barack Obama and explain to a little bit about wh where the Democratic Party has to improve if they want to win in 2020 when The Rock runs. <laughs> when Dwayne The Rock Johnson runs. I, I thought he was a Republican, but nowadays it doesn't even matter he anymore. He just got named Sexiest Man Alive. And he might be the sexiest president to ever live. <laughs> If it's The Rock versus Trump in 2020, I mean, the WWE has come to Washington, and, uh, you know, I don't know what that says, but yeah. The Rock would be a breath of intelligent air. Yeah, we'd have to, a presidential campaign where, where both nominees have gotten a stone-cold stunner. Isn't that, and that's just, that's mandatory now. <laughs> Good God. So, so strange to think about. Um, but with Barack Obama, he did a good job, I think, of sort of... Um, attempting to smooth the transition as much as possible. Talked to Donald Trump already about not repealing certain tenets of Obamacare, and Trump is like maybe he's uh, you know open to keeping children, for example, as, uh, as old as the uh, as old. Uh, as the age of 26 on their parents' health care. And there were a few things that he spoke about uh, regarding the 20 million individuals that are currently on health care that weren't. Uh, would Donald Trump just kick them off? And Trump has said, again, we, I don't know what to believe when Donald Trump speaks because he's just sort of flippant. Uh, but he did say that he would be open to keeping that sort of provision where the kids can stay on until 26. And, uh, and you know, we won't just like boot 20 million people off of welfare. Uh, but this is I mean, where it's not welfare. I mean, not welfare. I'm yeah. so sorry. Healthcare. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm one of those people. Affordable Care Act. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm one of those 20 million. But, yes. You know, I I, apologize. I didn't mean to say welfare. No, no, no. Um, although it kind of does work in a strange <laughs> way too. Uh, if you think about welfare with two L's and a hyphen, then <laughs> welfare, healthcare, it's similar. Friday on Friday, Barack Obama, uh, obviously a massive. Um, issue for the left in this uh, in this cycle, the hard left, uh, was the Dakota Pipeline, and we talked about it here on this show. I we have 250 uh, million miles of pipeline in this country. I'm not necessarily against uh, pipelines. I think if we want to continue to consume as much as we consume, especially you know using plastics and everything we use uh, is you know is oil based. Um, but what the, the way they went about it in, in South Dakota, really screwing over the Sioux people, um, I thought was, you know, disgusting. And uh, the Sioux people, I wish they would have taken a little bit of a different action, more of a legal action than just a protest action. But nonetheless, that was a cornerstone of Jill Stein's campaign. And Bernie Sanders was very much against the, uh, uh, the Dakota pipeline as well. Hillary Clinton sort of had her toe in it, but she was never really able to embrace the grassroots on the left, which I think inevitably cost her the election. Um, 
she was never comfortable talking about the environment or, you know, curbing emissions, specifically when it came to uh, stopping pipelines going through sovereign land. Barack Obama on Friday just approved the go-ahead for the Dakota Pipeline, and I thought that was really shocking. Um, we talked a bit about it. We did an interview um, this week with Jen Tisdale of Brightest Young Things that should be coming out. We talked briefly about it, but I thought that was such a uh, an indicative moment to where the left had failed its grassroots constituents and why the rise of Donald Trump was able to occur because he never turned his back on this new bizarre, oh, not bizarre, I mean, they're just individuals, a little bit bizarre um, mm-hmm. coalition that he created. But the but Barack Obama signing that uh, the same way again, well, like we mentioned in that interview, TPP, when they passed that, the night that gay marriage was passed, it's always on a Friday. It's extreme going into the weekend. Everyone just wants to get home and, and uh, go through their, uh, you know, get ready for their Saturday and Sunday plans. I thought that was really a uh, another great indication of where the uh, where the Democratic Party has abandoned their grassroots left base, and a in uh, another slap in the face to those Bernie Sanders, Jill Stein Democrats who really want to actually see change the way that they would like to see it. They would really like to see it uh, happen in Washington, and it's not occurring. And I think that it was it's just that's just a small example of a series of examples that led people to say, like we mentioned on the last episode, fuck it, we'll take a chance on Trump because these people who have told us all the wonderful things we want to hear once they get to Washington, they do the exact opposite. So, And that really went under the radar, the mm-hmm. fact that Obama had approved the uh, had agreed to approve the Dakota Pipeline. But that really stuck out, as, uh, st- stuck out at me, and it really was uh, – what a slap in the face. My friend who's been on the show, Nomiki Konst, I mean, she fought really hard, uh, you know, to sort of stop that pipeline. Again, I think they should have gone more legally as opposed to just the protest route. But I thought that was a, a, a perfect example of why the left wasn't able to maintain the grassroots support that they needed. Hillary Clinton got 11 million less votes than Barack Obama did in 2008 and 2012. And I think it's because she was never able to, uh, you know, spark the life into those groups the same way that the crazy doctor did uh, in the film Reanimated. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the thing is about the protesters is that legal action costs a lot of money. It and, does. Uh, and as we know, as, as we've talked about, like the, uh, you know, the the people, the Native Americans in this country, you know, the, the reservations are among, if not the poorest areas in this oh, entire country. Yeah. There, it, it is third world conditions there. They did everything they could. They, you know, they did everything. They used every resource that they had to try to stop this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody was putting up the money to fight the government. No one has that sort of money around there. So they did absolutely everything they could. And of course, it still didn't work. You know, this, you know, they made their voices heard. A lot of people made their voices heard. Uh, But, you know, like we were talking about this, you know, the they waited until we were distracted by the election. They waited until everybody was licking their wounds last right. week. They they waited until that moment to show their true colors. Uh, right. And, you know, and it's you know what, what what you were saying you know with people went with something that is uh that is different and what people did on on this election is they did not go with cuz everyone saw not everyone but a lot of people in america saw uh as two the election is two devils pretty much between oh, I think. they saw between they saw between two terrible awful yeah. candidates everyone saw that and you know we saw that in voter turnout we saw that uh in every possible metric that's how people yeah, saw and, this and election the, the and, reason the libertarians were able to quadruple what they did in 12 yeah sure. and p- what people did on this one is they went with the devil that they didn't know they right. did not get uh, hillary clinton uh is a known quantity people knew what they were getting with hillary clinton they just didn't like it and in fact not only did they not like it they absolutely hated it well they just didn't trust that she was going to do what she said she was going to do because she didn't really even under- understand how to articulate really hard liberal positions yeah, because time had moved past her, you know, in 1992, when they ran against HW, um, you know, they were obviously they were on the uh, they were the change candidate. They were the catalyst for change in the country. And they were definitely considered more progressive by 1992 standards. But now with the age of social media, I do think both sides. And this is why our show is so important. I hope anyway, uh, to people, we try to maintain the middle. The 10 percent on both sides have really just, um, you know, like a black hole sucked up so much 
of the uh, the rhetoric and so much of the policy initiatives that they want these candidates to put forward. And Hillary was just never comfortable doing that. Unlike someone like Donald Trump, who was Kirby from the video game Kirby, uh, he just <laughs> sucked it all up and uh, and just and regurgitated a fireball back in their faces. And they loved feeling that kind of burn. And and that I think propelled him. Uh, I I wanted to mention I was forgetting this guy's name and it was driving me insane. General Flynn, uh, General Flynn, watch out for him also in a Trump administration. Perhaps Homeland uh, Security. Uh, definitely, uh, he was one of the first and few generals to fully support Donald Trump in the very beginning. So watch out for him. He's uh, in, in the running for uh, defense secretary more than anything. Okay, defense secretary. And again, he is. If you did win the lottery and with uh, supporting Trump, and you if and you definitely did win the lottery when he won, uh, the the positions are. There's many of them, and there weren't many. Uh, there's not a lot of rewards to go around. Actually, I mean, there are so few people that Flynn is actually being considered for three different positions. All at once. <laughs> He's being considered for defense secretary, uh, CIA director, and national security advisor. Okay, interesting. Maybe and in he'll fact, just... he's the only person being considered for national security advisor right now, huh. or at least he's the only person on the short list uh, that the Trump administration has really talked about, uh, because that's what people are saying is that when the Trump aides, have, uh, when they went to the White House to meet with the president, they were apparently very surprised that they had to restaff the whole fucking thing. I know, it's tough. <laughs> like, they were very surprised that, I would be, that, they, that there wasn't wait. just like a White House secretary that just works there. You know. That has worked there all throughout every administration. And right. It's like, yeah, I mean, probably the cleaning and cooking staff hangs around. Maybe. Maybe, but. I don't think you, he's going to have a problem getting a cleaning and cooking staff. Let's be fair. <laughs> you know, the one thing that Trump he's a, Towers he's and he's Trump hotel Hotels man. have he's, blurred. He's got plenty. Yeah, he knows uh, how to stock a kitchen. Yeah, but but they were very surprised to learn that they had to restaff the whole damn thing. I don't know if it'll be that difficult uh, to find staffers. It might be difficult to find loyalists because, you know, for a fact, as soon as Barack Obama's gone, there's a lot of envelopes being slipped under doors mm-hmm. being like, I never liked the guy. You know, yeah, we're for it. They're like, you're Joe Biden. Yeah, but I didn't like him. I mean, I, just, I was just his VP for eight years and I never liked the guy. What do you want me to do? You know, these career politicians want to stay there. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and you know, career um, people who work in Washington, they don't want to change their lives that much. You know, and it's also um, possible that some people think that they can do some good from the inside. Uh, sure. You know, and that's, yeah. that's it's possible, but as as we know, you know these people. A lot of them, you know, it's a job. Uh, you know, it's oh, not totally. like it's not like any sort of most people in politics and in government. Uh, they are not driven by ideology. No, they're no. driven by job security. Oh, absolutely. A yeah. lot of them are. The people who work at Seven Eleven don't love Slurpees. <laughs> they just sell them. <laughs> they, might. They, I mean, might. They, they, they might. They might. They could. They might. There might be. I mean, there are some Seven yeah. Eleven employees out there that will tell you exactly what kind of Slurpee pairs with what hot dog. Oh my and god! They yeah. will let you know. And the they sommelier are sommelier <laughs> of. Slur- Slurpees. And they are fantastic at their job. They, and they are. are passionate, but the vast majority of people <laughs> at 7-Eleven don't give a fuck and oh. only clean out that hot dog drawer once every two weeks. Oh, that ain't right. Good <laughs> thing those roller dogs clean themselves. And, and that's and that's government. Uh, and that's what uh, and that's something that we really that we try to really impress upon people here is you know for like the government these are jobs. You know even though they yeah. really do affect people in very real ways. You know, most people in government are just there for a paycheck. And very few of the actual things that happen in government on a daily basis affect the American people. It's it's clerical work for all intents and purposes. Yeah. But I want to go back a little bit with um, to what we were talking about regarding Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama passing Dapple. That's what it was. Hashtag Dapple. Dapple? Which, yeah, Dakota Pipeline. But Dapple sounds like a fun apple. <laughs> like one that it was like a dipped. It's a dipped apple. It's a Dapple. And what did you get? You got a cherry one. Hmm. <laughs> But uh, Donald Trump has already sort of reneged a little bit on the wall, on for everything. example. I mean, well. Um, but, you know, this is, is it's funny because, you know, people, we talked a lot about this with uh, with Bernie Sanders and uh, even with Gary Johnson, whatever. Uh, he, he said he's not going to seek office again, by the way. So Gare you're, Bear? you're safe. <laughs> Everybody running in 2020 is safe because Gare Bear is not coming after you this time. Oh, my little Gare Bear. He's faking a heart attack. <laughs> What a cutie pie. Um, But, uh, you know, he is going to have to strike a more centrist tone now. So, for example, with the wall, he has already said it can be a fence some places. Uh Um, You know, so he's going to slowly start peeling back a lot of the 
you know, the things that he promised. And in the Trump's case, it's kind of good, right? It's, it's kind of refreshing, and it makes you have a little bit of more of um optimism towards his uh, administration if he does doesn't if he doesn't follow through with his uh, with his uh you know very heated stump speeches and and all that stuff if he doesn't follow through with everything that he promised that could actually be a positive thing and he can move to the center which you know all of these politicians end up having to do anyway and in just rationally you have to because you have to be a government uh, a government and a president for 320 million people well anybody who did a simple google search before the election about trump's policies knows that these things were not fiscally feasible we just oh, don't sure. have the money you know we right. we don't have you know the uh, the mass deportation the LAPD has already come out and said that they're not going to help with this whole with immigration deportation they're not going to help with it well uh, so there's going to have to be in order for him to do this they're going to have to uh build a gigantic force they're going to have to train new agents they're going to have to build camps they're going to have to figure yeah. out a way to get people out of here like it is a huge undertaking that we do not have money well, for you know, he's the, talking about building infrastructure that costs yeah. money he's the wall is going to cost an um just an insane amount of money, and he's trying to do all this while slashing taxes on the wealthy. I want to see this. Though. It just doesn't. It's just not going to happen. And there are going to be. I mean, you think people are angry now? You think people are angry out there now? What's going to happen when all these promises that he made that these people believed wholeheartedly that he was going to well, carry through? That no, they the believed people, in a political candidate no. for the very first time in their lives. And none of it's going to happen. The people who voted for him are going to do the exact same thing that people voted uh, that uh, you know that the people who voted for Barack Obama did. They're going to forget about the president, and they're just going to say <laughs> they're going to say, "Okay, I voted for him. Whatever he does, I voted for." No one wants to be um, complicit in a bad administration, and that is what you're doing when you do cast your vote for somebody. You are you are supporting them, and you are a member of their uh, administration to some degree. Um, when it comes to, and I want to talk about CalExit, which is now trending where uh, Oregon, Washington, uh, I believe Nevada and California want to exit and go become uh, part of Canada, which what? yeah, it's a very <laughs> ridiculous thing. But I want to talk about it more on a microcosm uh, uh, level as well. Um, but with, uh, you know, going back to the immigration thing really quickly, Barack Obama, 2.5 million people have been deported under Barack Obama in, yeah. in these past eight years. So Donald Trump has a plan right now for 2 million uh, people. He wants 2 million deported in his first four years. Um, but it's not like these institutions to deport aren't already in place. I mean, many of them just have to be either um, uh, funded again, like you just said, or they have to have the political will to do it. I mean, San Francisco, if they really wanted to, they could they could deport many, many people, and they have the resources. They have the people that do it. ICE has been saying that they've been sitting on their hands for eight years, and they've been upset uh, with the Obama administration. But I just want to, like, make sure that people understand, yes, his verbiage is absolutely disgusting when it comes to illegal immigrants. I mean, the term anchor baby becoming normalized is absolutely um it's not acceptable language and uh, and you know and all the violence some of it which by the way I, the internet take it with a grain of salt Marcus just informed me before the show that Google is cracking down on fake websites and I would be thrilled if they did fake news sites fake they're, news they're, sites they're turning off their ad revenue. Okay, thank God, because there's a lot of these fake news stories coming out regarding abuse on both sides. Um, Trump supporters getting beat up by non-Trump supporters and uh, and Trump supporters beating up uh, immigrants. Some of those stories are very true. Some of them are not. And it's really hard to figure out what is true and what's not true. Donald Trump did tell everyone to stop it. <laughs> he so that was right good. The uh, stop it. But it's not like immigration is a new thing in this country, and it's not like deportation is a new thing in this country. By the way, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Mexi or of Canada, rather, just said that uh, you no longer need a visa if you're Mexican to go to Canada. So, you know, what a transition that's going to be <laughs> from Mexico to Canada. You think life is hard here. Holy hell. It's going to be a nightmare. Trudeau, we'll see how his liberal policies turn out. He seems to be, in my personal opinion, setting himself up for a Merkel situation, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets outed. People, The goodness of people's hearts uh, is oftentimes shattered when they realize what what their policies actually look like, and then that's where you get your Donald Trump uh, you know, politician coming through, waving the flag of nationalism and getting so much support for it because people feel as if they've lost something, um, you know, even if they, in theory, would want that to occur. 
I don't think people, but I think here in America, you know, it wasn't necessarily anything that people lost to immigration. People didn't lose anything to immigration. You know, people, people here in America haven't lost jack shit to immigration. We've lost it all to autonomization. We've lost, we've lost it to robots. Like that's what we've lost it to. Well, we've uh, lost it to, we've, lo- we've lost it to, to robots. We have lost it to some, uh, jobs being shipped overseas. Uh, oh, but yeah. Im- immigration is, uh, it's a boogeyman. Well, I also think, I mean, you know, and Barack Obama even talked about this on Friday. Um, and, he, you know, I think he talks about it a little bit too uh, cavalier when discussing people no longer having careers for 30 years. Yeah. You know, he discusses. We talk how about people, that all the time here. I right? know, but it's, Barack Obama says it just like, yeah, you don't have a career for 30 years anymore. Sometimes you've got to go get re educated. Sometimes you've got to go um, and, uh, you know, get a different, uh, you know, completely change your career trajectory. That's like a tough pill for people to swallow because that wasn't what they were promised. And so you can't just demonize the individuals who were in their 60s, 70s, 50s, and all of a sudden demonize these people for being like, what the hell? I thought my factory wasn't supposed to close down. My father, his father, and his father all worked at that factory, and it was totally sustainable. I mean, now you have a situation like New Balance, the shoe who the CEO came out and mildly praised Donald Trump. It's a it's a product made in America. People were burning those shoes. It's like we have to um, – we should be supporting uh, you know companies like New Balance for staying here in America. And it is tough for these people to go get retrained. Education is extremely expensive. And why would they invest that much of their own money in education when there's no guarantee of a job and there's no guarantee that they won't have to re-educate five years later? And it's not just here. I uh, read a story this morning uh, about Australia, uh, and it was saying that a large amount of jobs that people are training for right now, in 10 years, they're going to be obsolete. Sure. In 10 years, like jobs that people right now are training for, going to school for, in 10 to 15 years, those jobs are going to be uh, automated. So, you know, I mean, and and right. so it's this is happening all over the globe. So you have the president, uh, you know, current president being, you know, just talking about how, yeah, people are going to adjust. They can adjust. And it's like, I don't think he realizes how difficult that is. If you have a family, if you're, you know, you're just trying to get by uh, a minimum wage job, a minimum wage life. It's almost impossible to just drop everything, take two years off, go to a community college. I mean, you have to do things with your life. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of society are we uh, are we going to be living in? And this is why you know the welfare state will continue to rise because, quite frankly, there's no incentive to work in many of these institutions like we just talked about. Getting reeducated for five to ten years is not a plausible solution to a. Um, to a society that has any sort of continual uh, uh, happiness. Well, where we're moving I towards, I'm, I have dream, I have nightmares about college, <laughs> about graduate. I still have. I swear to God, once a month at least, I have a nightmare that I didn't graduate college. Yeah. It is so stressful. Yeah, I mean, it is awfully difficult to do. That's why it's an accomplishment that you were only supposed to have to do once in your life. Yeah, and where, unless you went on, where America is headed towards right now, where our economy is headed towards right now, and you know, God knows. We're almost already there. Is we're a service-based economy. Yes. Is that we're turning into economy an economy that is nothing more than us feeding each other. You know, people. So feeder gainer society. <laughs> it's a feeder gainer society. Now that, ooh, I kind of like this. I now. love. Ooh, I mm. love the feeder gainer. Can society. I be the gainer? <laughs> oh, I better be the gainer. If I end up being the feeder, I'm going to be pretty damn pissed off. <laughs> and it's not just serving. You know, it, it's not just food. It's also retail as well. You know, it, it's all of us are just working jobs to sell things to each other. Yes. You know, to to feed each other. It's like you're working a job uh, eight hours at Chili's. But, so you, you're working a job eight hours at Chili's so you can get off and go to Applebee's. But what's wrong with that? I mean, I have no problem with that. Certainly being in the bar industry as I was for four years, bartenders would come to your bar. They would basically drink for free. They'd tip the what they got tipped out that night. But that's how it's supposed to work. I mean, that was that was it. That's ever since the beginning of fire. You know, you would you would trade, you would exchange goods. I suppose so, but I, I think for a lot of people, yeah. uh, that sort of work, uh, especially people that have been working in, in manufacturing, that are used to working with their hands, uh, they're used to a certain kind of satisfaction. A lot of people don't get much satisfaction from a service job. Some people mm. do, but how many waiters do you know? 
that are super satisfied with their lot in life. It's tough like, to tell with super. waiters because they're all actors. <laughs> so, you know, they pretend like they're really happy. So I, I could never really get a beat on them. Yeah, or you somebody know? who works at Starbucks. You know, like we're getting, it's going to be now what? where it's like somebody is going to be working at Starbucks. But that's the thing is that nobody is ever going to buy a house being a barista whereas before you could like you could if you were working a manufacturing job then you would have enough of a salary and enough job security where you could buy a house you could have a kid you know you could have a few kids and all that but in a service industry job like we're not you know nobody's buying a house on tips and i understand your point and i don't disagree with you and it plays into the whole minimum wage argument and uh how institutions companies large corporations can actually afford to raise their minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour i believe it was uh, walmart would go up one penny uh the price of their goods would go up a cent like no one would actually realize it uh no consumer would realize it it would be the mom and pop shops that would really be devastated by it um but you're right i mean now the idea of working at burger king or mcdonald's even when we were growing up, those were considered low-level high school jobs. Teenage as, jobs. Teenage jobs. But now as the, the economy has been devastated and large corporations have come, Walmart, if there is a Walmart in your town, which is why New York City doesn't allow Walmarts, which I am not against uh, them not allowing Walmarts because there are so many small shops. It is really in, at the epicenter for small business, even though they make it hard as humanly possible, even here in New York City. Believe it or not, New York City is a difficult place to run anything. Uh, but to your point, they are career jobs now. And that plays into the large minimum wage movement, the, the minimum wage hike movement. But the sad thing is Starbucks of the world, Dunkin' Donuts of the world, they can afford to pay their employees more. It's really going to hit the people who want a small business, who want a small coffee shop that caters to a um, – uh, you know, a specific clientele that might want a more of a high-end product, of course, then those people can just start charging a lot more for their goods. And, you know, I suppose it's just the market sort of evens itself out that way. But I agree. High school jobs, teenage jobs no longer exist. Those are 50-year-old jobs. Yeah. Those are for 50-year-olds, and those jobs are uh, what people will have their entire lives in modern American culture. And uh, so that is interesting. Um, I want to go back briefly to uh, Calix? 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 Calexit. Cal- Cal- oh, Calexit. Yeah. Calexit. It's Calexit. Calexit. Oh, like Calexico. All great band. Yeah. Oh, is it a good <laughs> band? It's also a restaurant. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Isn't that something? Um, I was thinking about this. I was over at the Knitting Factory watching our friend Kevin Barnett do some stand-up, and we watched the Cowmen perform. Uh, great band and Thank great you. performance, Marcus Barks. Thank you very much. That was a um, real fun show. Yeah, you did a great job. And I was looking at everybody in the crowd. This is Brooklyn. You know, this is Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Everyone's extremely white. And, you know, they if you ask them, they're as liberal as anybody could possibly be. And I'm wondering, you know, if it's if we've made a massive mistake uh, when it comes to gentrification and things like that. If these individuals who have moved to the coasts um, would have stayed in their hometowns, would Donald Trump have won, right? Like, there seems to be a massive, it used to be urban sprawl where all the whites went to the suburbs and the blacks and the Latinos and uh, minority groups and immigrants came into the cities. And now we're having the reverse of that. We're having gentrification, massive urban gentrification, and the sprawl is happening with, uh, with you know, uh, blacks and Latinos and, again, uh, many immigrants. They're being forced out. I mean, even in my apartment in Williamsburg, I mean, I cannot take uh i mean i have to you know wear this on my hand uh you know i have blood on my hands when it comes to this my building initially was the majority puerto rican and now i don't other than our super um we don't have anymore yeah and so i'm wondering if we if people who want to make a change as opposed to leaving for the coast because let's be honest the majority of people who move to new york city or los angeles they're, they're just doing it they're just, just doing it. Just just going. Just, just to go and experience a city, which is fine. Yeah, honestly, uh, I was one of those people. I didn't come here with any particular plan. I just came. Well, yeah, but you also were going through it like you thought you were Jesus or something. <laughs> so it doesn't mean you have, it, it's a whole other story. I didn't think I was Jesus. You thought you were something. <laughs> but you are something, Marcus. Yeah. I'm just wondering if those people would stay in those towns and they could actually, as opposed to leaving the politics of their area, and this is what's been so exciting about the Abe Lincoln's Top at Facebook page, people wanting to get involved in politics, local politics, because that's the only way we're going to be able to avoid a situation like we've had 
with uh, with Donald Trump. And I'm not even demonizing the people who voted for Donald Trump. I mean, I understand. I've understood this whole phenomenon the entire time. I get it. People are upset. And uh, and they don't believe, like we were talking about earlier, they just don't believe in the Democrats any longer. And it's a change election. But you wonder if people would stay and actually make changes in these more conservative enclaves in their country, if that could do a greater good than just coming to a liberal bastion like New York City and like Los Angeles. Now, granted, I understand I'm being extremely hypocritical uh, hypocritical because I moved here. Yeah. But I was just thinking about how amazing that would be if you do want to leave your small town, and I understand wanting to leave your small town, trust me, but how amazing it would be to entrench yourself and actually get your political moderate or liberal or whatever conservative views. I think they got the conservative views on lockdown Mm -hmm. uh, in the majority of the uh, flyover states, as Dana Loesch would call them. But I think it would be interesting if people, instead of fleeing to one or the other coasts, um, or to liberal bastions like Austin, stay in your t- town and, and actually get on city councils and, and really start to make change that way because I think that's what happened. Everyone, we are becoming so divided because of all of the sprawl that's happening, mostly by uh, left-leaning people to urban society, and everyone in the middle of the country is just sort of left to their own devices. And even a moderate uh, Republican or a moderate conservative person could have found um, a little bit of uh, hope in in Donald Trump with like the TPP and NAFTA stuff. So to rationalize voting for him um, and not having uh, anyone there to like maybe help them, you know, like, for example, like with Mike Pence, like when like do people really understand how offensive Mike Pence is when it comes to his, you know, taking funding for HIV and putting it into conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is exactly what they did to the bad guys in Clockwork Orange, only they're not bad guys in Indiana. They're just gay kids trying to survive. There's a great thing online about this kid who went to gay conversion therapy, and uh, he just uh, it was on Twitter. It's a series of, I think, like 25, 30 tweets. And, I mean, it's a nightmare. And yeah. he said about half the people that went to these clinics um, commit suicide. I mean, it's just brutal. They're demanding, you know, it's like telling a, a fish – uh, to become a dog. It's like, this is not how it works, you know? Um, and of course, the fact that uh, Mike Pence even equates HIV with homosexuality as opposed to the Oxycontin addiction, which then led to heroin, which led to needle problems, uh, you know, because the lack of the needle share programs in these places, that that's really worrisome. So if we had people in those places to just be like, HIV isn't about gay, it's about a pharmaceutical drug abuse that then leads people to illegal drug abuse that leads people into making terrible life decisions regarding, um, you know, intravenous drug use. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are ignoring the heroin epidemic right now. Everyone is. It's the dirty, it's the dirty kid. It's, yeah. the, it's the son but, you don't talk about. Yeah. It's the dirty secret in America right now. Uh, the heroin epidemic is vast. It is sad and it is very, very real, especially totally. in rural communities. Uh, and some people are, you know, some people are blaming that for uh, Trump as well. You know, but with people, some people saying it's like, you know, listen, I got no manufacturing jobs. Uh, my, you know, my sister or my cousin or my brother just died of a heroin overdose. Nothing's being done. Everybody is leaving us behind uh, and our communities are being forgotten. So fuck it. Let's vote for Trump. Sure. Like the Democratic policies have not, you know, a lot of people, they've just seen their lives get worse over the last eight years. Not everybody has. And I'm definitely not saying that everybody who voted for Trump uh, lives that life. I'm definitely not saying that everybody for Trump thinks that way. Uh, But I do think a lot of people, uh, that's where the fuck it comes from. And I think that's something that everybody needs to do right now. Uh, Everybody needs to be curious you really, really do because yeah. the I do know not everybody who voted for Trump is a racist. I do know, you know, yes, there is, a, you know, and I said that on uh, our post-election episode that yes, there, um, not everybody who votes for Trump is a racist, but uh, a lot of people are. The, you know, the, the some people were maybe not even a lot. I even hesitate to say a lot, but some people were. You know, the KKK was very happy. David Duke was very happy. You know, Steve Bannon is in the White House. You know, there are absolutely racist elements to this whole thing. But not everybody who voted for Trump is a racist, a homophobe, a sexist. No. What you have to do is you have to ask them why. Yeah, you have to say. Out. You have to figure it out. You have to say why. Please help me understand why you voted for Trump and you cannot scream it at them you cannot and if they get the answer that they give you 
If it doesn't satisfy you, then probe deeper. Really oh try my to goodness, figure. Marcus, you're getting sexual with it. All right, I'm not getting sexual with it's it. Even, but, well, you're telling but, them to probe deeper. But and the people that voted for Trump, that you know, you you that you are not racist, you're not sexist, you're not homophobic. You have to answer that question. You have to let people know why. All of the people that are angry, all of the people that are scared, you have to let them know why, and you have to do it in a calm, rational manner. We all have to come back together as a country in a calm, rational manner. Yes, it is scary. There's some terrifying things going on right now for a lot of different people, and you'd be a blind idiot to not acknowledge that that is the reality for millions of people in America right now, but we have to come back together in a rational way. Right. That's it. And, uh, you know, again, so yes, talk talk it out. I mean, that's why I asked my parents, pro-life, pro-Israel, that's... I got it. Um, so <laughs> yeah, go you're just, not going to like I the answer go back. every time. No, but, but you at least need to know what the answer is. I do want to say this. Uh, you know, going back to reasons why. Obviously, let's still we have to investigate what happened with the Hillary Clinton campaign, the greatest implosion of a, any political uh, campaign, certainly in our lifetimes. I think she might go down as the worst political candidate in history. She recently came forward and blamed James Comey, and uh, the, of course the head of the, uh, the the director of the FBI, who had that very vague, strange message to come. Congress about nine days before the election uh, that said he's going to reopen the investigation because of the Wiener emails. Um, and I talked about it on Red Eye, and there's some clips on the Facebook page if you want to go check those out. But when it came to the email scandal, the Hillary Clinton campaign, they should have just dumped these emails right away. And we would have forgotten about it in a month or two weeks. No one would have cared. Uh, instead, it was, a, it was a water, it was like a Chinese water torture, drip, 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 until it finally penetrated the brain of the American people. There was no major bombshell in any of these emails. Nothing other than uh, the DNC leaks, but that was a WikiLeak. That wasn't even from the FBI. Um, that wasn't from the private server. That's a whole nother side story. So it was just this slow drip. They should have just splashed us in the face one time, dumped all the emails, and called it a day. But she just refused to do that. And then again, in this election cycle, and I talked about it specifically regarding um, certain uh, you know loud, outspoken people on the left that were yelling at Bernie Sanders supporters and everybody else in this country to get behind their candidate. I think celebrity endorsements proved to backfire uh, more than previously thought. And there was a, they were completely out of touch with the pulse of the American people, you know, you can be, uh, you know, the, there was something very superficial about the, the Hillary Clinton campaign because they gutted the grassroots. They cut the roots from the tree and Bernie Sanders had many, many roots, um, you know, and he created a lot of roots for the Democratic tree and they gutted it. They cut it and they, they didn't replace them with anything. And I think that's why uh, Donald Trump was able to win, because the Democratic Party just did a horrible, horrible job of um, reassuring the people that loved Bernie Sanders, reassuring the people who didn't want the Dakota Pipeline, for example, that they would have their back and they would support their causes. And I think those are two reasons why, big reasons. I mean, we can, and we'll continue to talk about the reasons of what happened to the Hillary Clinton campaign. But I believe that they should have just done the email dump. They needed to extend a much larger olive branch uh, to Bernie Sanders, or they shouldn't have, it certainly should not have, mentioned that the superdelegates were already all in Hillary's favor before we, we even cast our first vote. Uh, there were a lot of problems. Yeah. So we'll t- we'll continue to talk about it. Um, and also, just to clarify, I'm not sure if we did clarify this. On last episode, we said it was roughly 35% voter turnout, but that was when before all the votes were in. It turns out it was roughly 57% of the American people voted. So not as bad. It's still, still lowest, not as good. It's still the lowest since Clinton Dole. It's not. And uh, it's only a hair above Clinton Dole. It is. You know. It is still abysmally low. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh, you know. So you got to get out there and uh, and do the thing because the things. Of, and if you did not vote, and you know, I was talking to a friend of ours who did not vote, but uh, he's in L.A. So he's. I just told him to tell him he voted for Hillary. <laughs> you, you know, just take make it easy for yourself. Okay. He's trying to better himself, though. Make it easy for yourself. Wherever you are, just be like, yeah, I voted. Yeah, you know, you just got to yeah, get through yeah. the night for crying out loud. Bunch of madness. Um, anyway, so yes, th- so that's where we're at. Um, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll continue to follow the transition and we'll continue to, uh, you know, try to keep you guys up to date on all those things. 57, by the way, Fifth Avenue here in New York City. If you think it's bad wherever you are regarding Donald Trump as the president, us in New York are going to suffer an immense amount 
because he's going to shut down half of this city for the next four years because he doesn't want to spend time in the White House because mm-hmm. he's the only jackass where the White House is a demotion. Yeah. It's and the only way. He's like, this This is it. There's only 13 rooms. Yeah. How's that going to help the economy in New oh, York City? How God. many jobs oh, are going to be How many jobs are going to be lost because nobody goes to Fifth Avenue anymore because no Trump one. has shut it down? How We're many gonna, jobs oh. are going to be lost? Remember that. Remember that's how this man thinks. Trump. Remember that. Or remember that's how this man doesn't think. He wants to go to Mar-a-Lago. I want him to go to Mar-a-Lago. Go to Mar-a-Lago. Go just, to Mar-a-Lago. Just, uh, just don't take jobs and, uh, away from this city and massively inconvenience people. Oh, it's going to be so frustrating. It's going to be terrible. We're going to curse the name of Trump solely for traffic reasons. Yeah. Even if you voted for the guy in New York, you're still going to... There's going to be people from Long Island be like, that motherfucking Trump. <laughs> I'd vote for him again, but that motherfucker... He's going to be on the level of Chris Christie with... Oh, uh, my as God. Far Bridgegate. As, you know, as, with Bridgegate as far as inconveniencing people. Oh, my goodness. Um, all right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Again, man, we can't thank you enough for having us finally. Seriously, guys. We all beat Beck together. <laughs> Although now he's kind of not the worst person on earth, so now we're beating Beck when he's <laughs> trying to try, but that was for strategic reasons. I don't yeah. believe it for once. Now we got to beat Hannity. I'd be very, I'd be very happy about beating Hannity. Oh, we'll beat Hannity. We'll beat Hannity. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Go to the Ablegans Top Hat Facebook page, um, and uh, you know, leave your comments. And everyone's been unbelievable. That was one of the reasons we did this interview with Jen Tisdale this week was to just to talk about how we were able to, you know, actually have females who voted for Trump. Thank you so much for being honest about that on the page, and thanks so much for the responses to that. Very few people viciously attacked them they 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 heard them out and um that's what we have to continue to do and i i think it was uh was it oj who put on the uh, oj chesney mm-hmm. uh, he put on are you going to run for office or just sit on the sidelines and so many people said they were going to run for office and that's like awesome that's uh, great. you know and and that's what we have to start doing you know get it out there and why the hell not our voices matter just as much as everybody else's if not more and you know not more just as we all matter the exact same and your voice matters so it's and you know if you want to be bored for eight hours a day, city council, <laughs> just do it up. Uh, that'll be perfect. Um, find Marcus on Twitter at Marcus Parks, Instagram Marcus Parks. I'm on Twitter at Ben Kissel, Instagram Ben Kissel one. Still don't know how to use it. And uh, yeah, that's it. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to CaveComedyRadio.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.